to the Clovis North Podcast Club. This episode features Jamila Finley, the founder of the Breakbox Dot Collective, an organization promoting cultural arts and storytelling in Fresno. They do everything from combating racial inequity in the arts to prom- to promoting healing through community dialogue and vibrational acoustic music as well as doing their own digital storytelling through films and a magazine. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So our first question for today is, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, let's see. I am a writer. I'm a reader. I'm a mother. I'm a... I love, this is one of my favorite parts of my identity is um, I'm a poet. So um, yeah, I, I love language. I love words. Um, what kinds of poems do you write? Uh, spoken word mainly. And for a while, like I was going through this phase where I wanted to write about history and I wanted to write about um, a lot of like the, I processed a lot of things that were happening in the nation around race. And then I kind of started feeling like maybe I should write about love or maybe I should write about other things. Cause you know, the content was so heavy. Um, but I also found that people who had commissioned me to write poetry would um, always want it to do with, you know, Martin Luther King or black history month. So I kept getting dragged kind of back into some of the more serious content, but I really want to, I think I want to go back to writing about just anything, you know, things that bring me joy. Writing about um, joy is important. So how did you um, get started with writing and poetry? Mm, um, I was an only child. So I did a lot of, of reading. So just growing up, like from really young, I was reading Alice Walker and Toni Morrison, and um, I just loved the the language, and I loved how people could use poetic language and figurative language to express deeper meaning. And so that's how I sorry about that. Um, that's how I originally got interested in poetry, and then I also found like journaling was helpful. So it kind of was a combination of like I'm going through something, I'm going to put it into my journal in the form of a poem. So that's kind of how I got started. Um, what inspired you to start the Breakbox Thought Collective? Hmm. When it comes to your mind, when you when you think of those words, I'm always curious. Yeah. Um, people breaking barriers together. Yeah, exactly. I'm into new ideas. I think we have a lot of systems in society right now that are not serving us well. And I think that also there is a level of um, compliance that our society, we have a tendency not to be um, critically conscious and not think for ourselves. So with Breakbox Thought Collective is really about um, introducing new ideas that could you know, um, maybe propose solutions um, and help people to get unstuck in their thinking about problems that we have in society. So that's why I started it. And I specifically started it with my high school students. One of the things I didn't mention about myself is I'm a retired teacher. So I taught for 21 years in the public school system. And at the 
end of my career, I just started growing frustrated with the bureaucracy and all the limitations and constraints and uh, of curriculum. And so when I started Breakbox, I started with 10 of my most vocal, not necessarily A students, but my most vocal students. And uh, we met at Bidwise one summer. And from there, we started talking about reforming education. We started talking about race relations. We started talking about um, opportunities like dreams. What do you want to do? What do you want to be? So, yeah. And then the program and all of the programs were formed from that summer with those, those 10 students. How can people as individuals um, unconstrain their thinking? I think if something comes up for you and it's a question or you're curious about it, pursue it, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. And, and I also, I used to tell my students this, like, don't embrace everything that's fact, especially if it doesn't feel true for you. So if it doesn't feel true for you, it doesn't resonate, then maybe that's something to look into. And I also think another thing that people neglect is their intuition, like your inner knowledge, your inner knowing is valuable. And I think we're taught at a really young age to disregard our inner knowing and accept other people's thoughts instead of trusting ourselves. Um, how has your teaching experience motivated your work now? Uh, well, I felt like it was a calling in the first place to do the work with youth because I do think that youth are a marginalized group. And I feel like oftentimes they're voiceless and they're not considered in decision-making and in places of power. They're not at those, um, at the table, making the conversation, I'm sorry, making the decisions and part of the conversation that's really about them. So when we first started, um, we were Black Girl Magic Project and the Black Girl Magic Project was, I would always tell them nothing about you created without you is for you. And that's um, that's not my own words, but that's um, some activism verbiage that is basically saying like the solutions should come from the people that they're impacting. So that's why we're a very uh, youth-led, youth-forward organization. I wanted some of my youth to be on with me today, but they had another commitment. But um, yeah, I think youth voice is very important. And that is why from being an English teacher, we started Ashe Magazine because I noticed that in writing the essay, um, a lot of times the essay gets assigned to the student. So your teacher's telling you what to write, right? And sometimes you have something to say about it. Sometimes you don't. And I think, you know, with Ashe Magazine, you can write about whatever you want to write about. And virtually no one's censoring your writing. We're, no one's, um, we're editing it, but it's not from the standpoint of like cutting your voice out or it doesn't sound like you anymore or anything like that. So it's really to encourage your voice versus to like control or constrain your voice. That's a meaningful idea. Um, what do you envision for your new cultural arts space and then your new Young Black Navigators? project? Yeah. So we, um, we made a transition from the Black Girl Magic Project to Young Black Navigators to be more inclusive. So what we're hoping for is that youth all across the gender spectrum, gender expansive folks to, um, of all ages from, from freshman to senior year, 
um, will come into the space and they'll build lifelong relationships and community together. To me, that's the first thing and the most important thing that I hope that they gain from being in the space. But the second thing is it's a professional working space. So even though you're young, you're being competitive, you're being paid a competitive rate and you're working with industry professionals. So it's not something that you're just kind of like, uh, doing as a one-off or it's a virtual thing that you're pretending to do. Like, no, it's an actual thing. You're having a meaningful experience in a real world context. It's going to be something that people see. It's going to be published. It's going to be distributed. Um, and so like, I feel like those are the opportunities that young people deserve. Um, so yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> as a poet and a writer myself I feel like that's very valuable learning how to do the art in a professional setting mm -hmm. yeah those opportunities are really critical uh I I was really interested by your grow and graze program so what's the most significant impact you've seen with that um, that was just getting off the ground. What we did with uh, the community engagement dinners a while back was we just brought people together around a giant table and let people have conversations. And um, since that time, we've had a couple of more sessions. Um, one of the sessions that we did was unboxing Kendrick Lamar. Another one was Roe versus Wade. And it's just like people come together and they eat food Um We'll try to support local Black businesses, but the Grow and Graze initiative is specifically farm to table. So that's something that we're still rolling out is like to be able to say, okay, well, we're supporting Black farmers who have um, maybe grown things locally. And so, and also to encourage like a sustainable food source that's grown local. Um, and then what we do is connect people to that. And that's a more healthy way of eating, right? And then- um, people who are at the table are having these conversations around food, around a meal. And I think that's a, a great way to build community. So the biggest impact in terms of, like you said, um, what's the biggest impact? I think it's the connections that people make with each other and the opportunity to have respectful conversations and to be heard. Um, there's a certain format that we have our listening sessions and um, so I feel like, yeah, the, the being heard and being in community and space is pretty impactful. What was exciting to you about it? It seemed it was an, a new way of a way of promoting conversation about and, and empathy while supporting local businesses and, and healthy eating. It's a, it's a, it was a unique combination that I hadn't really seen in other places. Oh, okay. Thanks. So of all of all the stories you've produced in Ashe magazine, which one was particularly inspiring or memorable? There are so many that we're going on our fifth volume and there've been so many brilliant writers that I'm just trying to that's going to take a second because one that's popping up right now is I am not your fetish. I really liked that article. Um, it's basically about, she's a mixed race. She's Afro Latina. And um, she basically says that because she has these features that people 
tend to think are beautiful because they're more Eurocentric. And um, she challenges that, even though that she's benefiting from it, she challenges this. And I think that that's powerful that she was able to reflect. This is what we're talking about, critical consciousness, right? That she's able to reflect that although I'm benefiting from this particular construct, I also see it as kind of problematic. And here's why. And she explains all the reasons why it's problematic. And so, um, yeah, that one. I like the algorithms of oppression that was written about how uh, bias is implicit in the algorithms on the internet. And they did a lot of research for that one. So I was like, wow, I hadn't even thought of that. But they're like, you know, naturally you have a programmer who has a bias, right? So it's not just a machine that has no bias. This is programmed by a person who has a particular bias. And then they started to disaggregate all the different ways the bias shows up that we don't even, we're consuming it and our perceptions are being formed by it. And we're unconscious of it. We have no idea. We're like, well, some of us do know that we notice it, but most of the time we're passively consuming it, not even recognizing the ways that we're being impacted by the algorithms. That was another cool article. Yeah, I, I read that like the diversity of data really makes these algorithms reinforce oppression. And yeah, it's interesting just how bias is everywhere. Yeah, it is. In all of us, really. Uh, what do you enjoy most about um, digital storytelling? Wow, I actually love film. Like I'm falling in love. I thought that it was all about writing and I used to, st I still use a pen. That sounds crazy, huh? Archaic. But um, uh, but the telling the story with the film is is captivating in a different way because you can select moments that are not, where words aren't being spoken and tell the story without any words, just from the suggestion, like a placement of something or a particular, um, a particular moment in a sequence at a particular time will make the audience feel something and you don't have to say anything and they'll get it, you know? And so I feel like this is something I've been struggling with lately, but it's like humans of all the sentient beings are most dependent on language. Plants don't depend on language. They're sentient. You know, animals don't, they have some kind of verbalizing, but it's not language per se. But but humans, we, we overly depend, I think, sometimes on our words. And so much can be expressed digitally without words, just in the image itself and the suggestion that the image brings. So that's my favorite part about it. Yeah, I've, yeah, Seeing can, it can definitely, like the subtlety of seeing can make a difference. I read an interesting piece by Annie Dillard where about blind people that like got their vision back and how disoriented they were and about like the limitations and like the potential of sight at the same time. And yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot to unpack right there. Yeah. I wish I could say something about that. I'm gonna let it go. <laughs> <laughs> what um, underlying issues do you seek to address through your um, storytelling? Mm. Uh, it goes back to what you're saying about vision, right? The way that people see the world forms perception and your perception forms your reality. Like the person who controls the narrative controls the belief patterns of the entire people, 
you know? So, and what, whatever you limited experience that you have is because of something you saw usually, or you, you know, experienced it in some way, maybe you heard it, but, but mostly that's why those two means of communication are so powerful. Like I, we like to use music in breakbox thought collective. We like to write music. we like to, um, use film. We like, because the, the power of the image can shift a perception. And it also invites people into your reality with you. Like maybe if they didn't see this image, they wouldn't know something was possible, right? So the limited perception leads to the stereotypes or the lack of representation could lead to maybe a controlling belief that you might have about something, whether it's valuable or it's not valuable because you don't see it. But when you start to see it, you start to make assumptions like, oh, that must be important because it's frequent. I'm seeing it. It's prevalent, you know? So that's why we are so concentrated on representation in our work because the visual and the the words, the language help people get the information, of course, but it also helps people to enter into an experience that they may not have had exposure to. So... Yeah, yeah, exposure is really the um, start of it all. Um, so for your vibrational acoustic program, why did you um decide to do that? Okay, so I found out through my own mental health journey that trauma is housed in your body. So you can have a traumatic event, do talk therapy, and talk therapy might not help you because the trauma is still on a cellular level, you're experiencing it somatically, right? In the, in the feeling of your body. So sound can do something that talk therapy can't do because it can reach your cells, right? Vibration, vibrational therapy, vibroacoustic therapy does two things. It entrains your brain. So it calms you down to a level where your brain is able to function at a more optimal level. And then the second thing it does is it helps, it helps you to in it basically increase your your health the level of the the healthy cells in their functioning so and it's it's cured cancer it's been known to do a lot of different things um there's a lot of research about it i won't go into the research right now but there's a lot of research about it so people love music right and i thought you know a lot of times a person might not go to what's called a sound bath or whatever but it they'll go to a concert so if you have a, a say you have singing bowls, the vibration of the singing bowls can help people to get into a deeply relaxed state. It's not hypnosis or anything. It's just listening, you know? And, and so like, that is why I wanted to bring that forward because I think there are times where people aren't going to go to talk therapy. They're not going, nothing wrong with talk therapy. Also, I, I love talking wrong. But, um, sometimes you can just put something in your your ear and everyone's got AirPods on all the time. And there are certain frequencies that are specific to your body that can help you, you know? So that's one of the reasons why that we um, chose the vibroacoustic program and the indigo sessions is where, you know, you sit in your sound bath and people are jamming they're making music right after the sound bath. You're optimally creative. So we've got musicians, we've got poets, we've got singers, we've got all these creative people in a space who have just re reached an optimal level of creativity because their body is relaxed. 
And then they're able to produce music together right there on the spot. And we actually, just through doing the Indigo sessions, we created a whole album together. It's called Soul of a Nation. We haven't released it, but yeah, it's it's been really powerful. It's amazing how this, how sound can just induce a flow state like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what piece of art or writing inspires you the most? What piece of art or writing? That is a good question. My brain is wanting to go to art, but then it's also wanting to go to writing and I'm stuck in the middle now. Um, piece of art. Hmm. I think I'm going to go writing. So right now, can you say the question one more time? Because I, I want to make sure I answer it correctly. Uh, what piece of art or writing inspires you the most? Okay. I just read a time to, it's called Time to Think by Nancy Klein. And that body of work, I read it straight, nine hours straight. So I was on the flight coming back from England and I just couldn't put it down. And the reason why is because she talks about the fact that people aren't able to think is because people are not given a chance to talk. People are uh, constantly interrupting and finishing each other's sentences. And I didn't realize how often I was actually doing that. It's cutting somebody off or you think you know what they're going to say. So you kind of say it. And she said it actually interrupts you from having a full and mature thought. And it's not as um, relatable as people think, you know, it's actually dis disruptive to the thinking process. So I started noticing that. And then she said, you know, if you give a person especially in a conflict situation, give them three minutes to talk without interrupting them, hold their eye contact, no matter what their eye does, follow their eyes for three minutes and don't say anything. And I tried it with my family and it was kind of like a tense conversation that normally would have been maybe an argument. It worked. I couldn't believe it just by holding eye contact. It's called attunement. When you're attuned to someone, you're just like holding their eye contact and they're talking and they feel heard and it's really powerful. So I would say that's the, that's the piece of writing that was most amazing for me. Yeah. And, and interrupting can be awkward, but I didn't realize just how harmful <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I'm much more, I'm hyper aware of it now. Um, what advice would you give to aspiring creators or um, leaders? Wow. Do your healing work. Heal yourself. Heal yourself. Because I think when I was young, I was like, I, I wanted to save the world. And I was broken. And I felt like I lacked uh, internal connectedness. Like I wasn't grounded or centered and I wasn't keeping good boundaries. And I think like that's the best thing you can do. If, if you want to really change the world, start with healing yourself. And there's, if there's self-esteem issues or things with ego or things like that are deep within yourself that kind of like get in your way, instead of keeping yourself busy and distractible, like maybe try spending time in quiet or try 
some of the modalities that might work for you. Like when I say modality, I mean, like, I don't know if you meditate, meditate, or if you um, sit in quiet and listen to the stillness, nature, do that. And do journal. Just like, I would say the best thing you could do is just do your internal work so that you can show up in fullness, you know? And whole. Yeah. Yeah. Starting the biggest changes start small. Yeah, that, that's a good way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can people get involved in um, Breakbox? Oh, that's a great question. I hardly ever get asked that question. People always ask me, what are we doing or tell me about it? But um, you can follow us on Instagram um, at BreakboxTC. And then if you have an inquiry, just DM us. And um, like, say, if you see a post that you're interested in or, you know, we're promoting something that you're interested. And we also are located um, in downtown Fresno on um, so when our new facility opens in November, we'll be promoting that on Instagram. And um, so that's the best, I would say that's the best way. Or you can also connect through our website, which is breakboxthoughtcollective.org. And they should have a way to send an email on there. But um, I would say that the best way is Instagram. Just direct message us on Instagram. That sounds great. Um, thank you for uh, taking the time to come on the podcast today. It was a really fascinating conversation and hope our listeners enjoy. Oh, thank you so much for having me.